I think that's probably it. I've worked with a lot of really lovely people and I've I've been lucky enough to go to some brilliant locations that people don't go to or you know that the general public don't go and see and I've worked on some really great scripts scripted things that I am really proud to have on my CV. Today's guest is Lucy Hopkins, who is a production coordinator for television. After completing secretarial college, she began temping in-house at the BBC, which included working for Alan Yedtov, the then controller of BBC Two. This led to becoming secretary to executive producer George Faber on the Strand screenplay, showcasing young, up-and-coming writers, directors and actors. Lucy worked for George for five years before taking a year out, after which she returned to the BBC as a producer's assistant and started to assist coordinators on productions within the drama department. After a further six years at the BBC, Lucy became a coordinator and left the BBC to work as a freelancer starting on dramas such as Inspector Lindley and Elizabeth the Virgin Queen to working on comedies like Bad Education and Intelligence. Ever wondered what the creative process is behind the films, TV shows and theatre productions you watch? Well, Crew Chats is a new podcast going behind the scenes and chatting to the crew that help make these productions. I'm Poonam and I usually work in the costume department. Whenever I tell people what I do, they're always fascinated. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool to hear more from the wonderful people who work behind the scenes to make the films and shows we all love? Hi, Lucy. Hello, Poonam. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, thank you for coming on to the podcast. Um, so... Before I ask specifically about what you do, um, I was going to ask what the production department does, because on previous episodes, people have touched upon that department and not to get it confused with the production designer, which is a separate department. And you sort of are are an umbrella department for other departments. Um, I know very little, bar that sometimes I've had to email someone in production about something. So, yeah, if you could sort of um, give us a rough idea of what the department does and what it is. Okay, so the production team is, the top of the production team is the line producer who deals with the budget. They work together with the producer, who's obviously the editorial side and dealing with the actors. So the line producer deals with the budget and gives all the heads of departments their budget line and deals with things like that. And then underneath the line producer, there's coordinator, this is television specific, coordinator, secretary, production secretary and a runner. So we all work together with the line producer, supporting line producer and producer, really. But you're absolutely right. We we interact with every single department. Um, we are the people that they come to with if they've got complaints or worries or issues. We try and solve them. Uh, we sort out scripts, get scripts out to crew and to actors. From my point of view, I do copyright clearances of anything that's in a script. Um, Uh, child licenses usually coordinators do that or secretaries um so if you've got a child in the production you need to license them i would sort out that um contracts for cast and crew get done in the production team so yeah we look after everyone basically it's quite a big job and uh we look after lots of lovely egos and not so nice egos and (laughs) organizing if we are traveling we do the travel uh, we organise hotels for people if we have to have hotels. Basically, it's a it's a massive admin job that we look after. And even if it's so for costume department, if you have um, something to collect from, you know, a costume store or anything like that, you would normally come to us to arrange a bike or a collection. The same for you know anyone in makeup, wigs or anything. Often you'll come to us to sort out the transport. There's all sorts of things. It's kind of like we catch everything that is 
uh, not completely specific to one department. So even like camera and lighting, the production team are the ones who will take the lists from those departments of what they need and the line producer will do the deal with those those companies that you get your camera from or your lighting from and then either they or the coordinator will order them up and be try and be on top of if there's some things you're coming in for a day, if you've got a special bit of kit that you don't need for the whole time because it's too expensive, you only need it for one day, coordinator or secchi often are the ones who coordinate getting that piece of kit in making sure the crew whoever's got it they've got it they've used it and it goes away again so that you're not overcharged by the company who you're hiring it from so it's quite a broad spectrum um and it is quite admin-y but it's also quite interesting because it's diverse yeah, no matter what your job you do, because some jobs are quite uh, big and they have a lot of cast and crew and they have more money, so you have more toys to play with. Some have no money whatsoever and you're, you know, scrabbling around trying to ask people if you can give us a deal and this, that and the other. So, yeah, it's quite a lot. <laughs> it's quite a lot. It's such a big, it's such a big uh, responsibility, isn't it? Now, you're a production coordinator. What does your job specifically involve? So my job specifically is I do lots, I do all the cast and crew contracts. If they sometimes get too much, because that is quite a big job to do. Um, sometimes if I'm lucky, the line producer or the head of, head of production will say, let's find someone else to help you. Because often, particularly with cast, you're not cast early doors. You kind of do casting as you go along and you might start your job, start the production filming and literally in the last week you've suddenly got your 20 cast in and you didn't have them before so suddenly you've got 20 equity contracts to do i mean it's simple in one way because they're templates and there's figures that go in everything but on the other hand on top of everything else when the when you've got a busy production office and you might have lots of scripts coming in it's quite a big task to do i also do uh copyright clearances so if you read a script and it's specifically got a piece of uh, music in it or a book in it that's specific or a, a poster that's specific in the script I will have to try and clear that oftentimes the art department might dress a set and say oh Lucy this isn't in the script but we'd love to have such and such in there and so again that would be a clearance thing clearance issue so that's that can be quite a big task and a lot of people don't often understand the, that process because it's it's you as a person, as a, as a company, talking to another company for their intellectual copyright, basically, to use that. So it's expensive as well. No matter, generally, no matter what, you're going to have to pay for something. And the bigger the thing, the more expensive it is. So a lot of people don't, don't get that. They might come in and say, we'd love to have a clip of um, Formula One in, or, you know, a big football match in. And my heart sinks because they are, sport is extremely expensive. But anyway, so that's another thing that I do. And I sort of work with my team, my Seki and my runner, and make sure they've always got things to do. I do pass the script on, personally, I pass the script on to the secretary. Uh, a lot of coordinators, I think, don't do that. But the secretary, usually, you want them to have a good role and something to do. So I usually give the script side to the secretary. We look after the whole script once it's gone through all its drafts. And once we're shooting, once we've got a shooting script, so any changes that come in whilst we're, whilst we're filming, we implement those changes, i.e. We, we do the changes in the script, we send out the pinks, the greens, the blues, the yellow pages, or, you know, we do that from us with a, with a memo. Um, so before you get to that stage, hopefully 
the writer and the producer and possibly a script editor are looking after it. And then once you get into shooting part, it gets handed over to production office. Another part of my job, and that's called the progress report. And you have to do it the next day after when you've done your first day of filming or your second day of filming. You do it the day after and you put in all these bits of information about the time you wrapped and how many cards you use or sound cards you use. And if there are any problems, if you didn't complete anything, all the same. Basically, a call sheet, but with information of how the day went. That's interesting. I didn't know that was a thing. And yeah, it's, it's sort of my, I think, the role of coordinator and generally of my team is to be the smiling faces in the production office who are happy to help and not, and if you've got a problem with trying to help someone out, just not be rude to them. I. It makes your life difficult as well you don't want to be a don't want to be an old pain in the neck but sometimes people don't understand the amount of work you've got to do you know gets bigger and bigger and bigger as you go along but yeah so they're my I think doing cast and crew contracts and clearances and sorting out little niggledy piggledy things that people want to do arranging the recce sometimes once the recce has been organized making sure everyone knows about the recce sending out the call sheet during the shoot it's quite varied um you've mentioned so many things and then I've now got so many other questions I want to ask based on what you've said so the first thing you mentioned was clearances which I find fascinating how does that process work from your perspective from my perspective if I read a script and the script specifically says a book in it or it lists a poem if someone's reading a poem or there's a it scripts the writer's script that they want a certain picture in the background or a piece of film or la 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 um, then I, when I go through a script and read it, I write those down and I start my copyright chart and that's where I start going on to start clearing them, making sure they definitely want it. If it's books, you contact the publishers. If it's um, TV clips, you try and find who's made it and contact them. Um, poems, you find out who owned, if it's a dead poet, if there's an estate that goes with it. A piece of artwork, that's another one. You go to the estate if they're passed away. You know, so it's quite a big and, and interesting job, in fairness. Yeah. If it's not scripted, if the director says, oh, you know, I'd love such and such, I'd love even someone wearing a piece of costume that is has got a label on it. If it's a, I'm trying to think, um, if it's a Fred Perry T-shirt or something like that, you need to try and get it cleared from Fred Perry if you can. Oftentimes, these people don't, not that they don't care, but Fred Perry is really busy office obviously so yeah. trying to get hold of people is quite tricky um in television people definitely want things cleared and if yeah. you can't clear them in perpetuity i.e forever or for 10 years you need to change your mind i.e the director producer needs to change their mind because you're selling if you're an independent company like big talk or hat trick or expectation you're you're giving you're doing the program for sky or bbc or someone else so you have to make sure when you've done the post-production paperwork which i don't do generally i hand over but you have to make sure that everything that's in there is cleared because if if someone comes up and says oh you wore a someone wore a fred perry t-shirt in there and we haven't got anything in our paperwork to say you wore it you you wanted it so you know we want to know why you've used it then they need to know, actually, yes, we, they did approach you and there's an email here and you signed a release form for it, you know, oh, okay. so things like that. The other thing is that if um, if someone has, if your writer has written 
a story, let's say, where someone gets murdered in a scene or there's some brutal attack on something and it's right outside McDonald's or you know, some big brand or it's in front of something, a piece of artwork or a poster, you have to also be really honest with the company because they don't want their brand to be affiliated with anything that's derogatory. That's quite rare because often time, you know, it, um, it was not necessarily rare, but you have to you have to explain it to the director or the writer. Um, that's not me to explain, by the way. That's often the producer to explain, luckily. But um, they, or they might say, oh, it's great. We love so-and-so. We love the actors in it, and that's fine. But you have to be understanding that you are clearing a brand that, for drink is, drink is a perfect example. If you're trying to clear drink and you have a scene where everyone's getting drunk, invariably the company who's selling the drink and you're trying to approach to clear the bottles will not allow you to use it. Really? Oh, it makes sense. I'm saying really. It's because everyone is drinking. They they are signed up to the drink awareness scheme. So if you're showing a party that's gone out of hand with everyone drinking tequila or wine or and you're trying to use a specific brand, I think forget it, particularly in television. You might find that big films might be able to wangle it because it's a big film. But television, they won't agree to it in very That's fascinating. It sounds like a really interesting part of your job. I always, my heart sort of sinks when there's copyright, but also there are, I look at things that I've done or worked on and invariably the most interesting part of a job is when there's been a lot of clearance, which is weird for me to say because I often also go, oh God, there's loads of clearance in it. (laughs) But actually, as long as you've got, I have to say, as long as you've got a director, a writer and a producer who are understanding that it's very difficult to clear things and they might they might have to change their mind, then it's okay. If you have those people, any one of those people that don't understand it and are just desperate to get that big uh, Premier League football match in on the TV and you know that it's £20,000 for a minute, let's say, and the budget doesn't have it, well, they need to change their, cut their cloth. But it can be really fascinating. I've done jobs where I had to clear... We went to a location and it was the Rothschilds, a Rothschilds house, oh, wow. and it was covered in uh, modern art, and they were it was amazing, and all of the artists were still alive, and I had to contact. There were about ten pictures we had to choose. I had to contact each of their agents and clear it, and most of them were in New York. But it was it was really interesting, and because you, I could name drop that we're filming at the Rothschilds. All of them said, "Oh yes, that's great. Thanks so much." But I learned so much from doing that. And it took me about 10 days to clear it. Um, it was quite a quick turnaround because we were shooting like in like about 14 days, I think, or 15 days at the time. So it, it can be really fascinating. Yeah, I bet. It sounds so interesting. So how did you get into the job that you're doing now? So I left school and went to secretarial college. And I had a really good friend, have a really good friend, who at school had done secretarial and she went straight to the BBC. And I was really envious of her, but I didn't have secretarial skills. So I went to secretarial college after doing my A-levels, which I failed brilliantly. And I did a six-month course there. And then actually I got a job at a publishing company up in town for a year. They actually were not your common or garden publishers. They did um, stationery and calendars and stuff for like, for M&S and Boots and people like that so that kind of publishing so kind of to hone my secretarial skills so that I was I was 18 19 when I did that so I did that for a year and I what I really wanted to do was be an actress that was my 
desperate need to be an actress. But my friend Kate had got had got into the BBC and she um, was then working in comedy and she said, oh, you know, the BBC have this kind of, they don't have it anymore. They have in-house temps. So instead of going out to a temping agency, they would have at the time in-house temps that if someone was poorly or someone had gone on holiday in whatever department, a secretarial wise, you could get a phone from and say, you need to go to documentaries, you're covering for so-and-so, they're phoned in sick today, or can you go to um, music and entertainment, uh, music and arts, rather, they, someone's gone on holiday, you need to cover for them for three weeks. And so it's quite a good way of finding out about the BBC. And I managed to get in, and I was there for quite a long time. I started out moving around, and I worked all over the shop, including parking control, which was not the reason why I was <laughs> But, you know, even so, and I worked in news for a bit. And then I worked for the controller of BBC Two, who at the time was Alan Yentob. And we were up on the sixth floor of BBC TV Centre. And I was with him for about, I think, six or seven months with his, I was his second secretary, they had two secretaries. And I, it was really fascinating. And I think about it now, I was really lucky to do it because he'd have meetings when all the heads of department would come in to pitch ideas. This is before Producers' Choice and before there were lots of independent companies. So nearly everything was made in-house at the BBC. And you'd have all the heads of department coming saying, we've got this great idea for comedy, we've got this great idea for documentary, la la. And having all these these meetings with him. Janet Street Porter was one of them. She was head of children's at the time. Um, It was really fascinating to see how the BBC worked and how television worked at that time. And one of the execs that he would speak to was a chap called George Faber, who at the time was um, exec of a drama strand called Screenplay. And Screenplay um, did this brilliant thing, which was young, either young writers, directors or actors, a little strand every year of about eight or nine dramas or comedies or whatever, you know. But they all had either or they were written by someone uh, new, uh, directed by someone new or and or had and or had actors young actors in it so it was a way of getting new talent into the industry and his secretary was going traveling before she then went off to train as a script supervisor and I managed to kind of wheedle my way I talked to my boss who wasn't Alan it was the lady who ran the temping agency and so I really want to try and move over as with all kind of corporations no one really wanted to help you but somehow I managed I think actually, in fairness, I think Alan might have thought it was a good idea as well and helped me out. I managed to move from working for Alan to covering for Sarah, who was George Faber's assistant. Um. So I kind of shifted over to drama. And that was meant to be, I think, for three months. And in that time, they were advertising for the permanent secretary to work for George because his secretary was leaving. So I had to do the job and apply for the job and interview for the job whilst I was doing the job. That's so very good to see. Anyway, I was lucky and I got the job. So I then worked for George for about a couple of years. It was really good. I was his secretary, so I was an assistant. um, And he was exec on all these amazing, really brilliant dramas that were written by Jimmy McGovern or Peter Flannery, um, all sorts of people. Malcolm Mackay was in it. And yes, it was really interesting and really exciting. And I moved around sort of with him, but I and I sort of helped out productions a bit. It was before there were production secretaries. And then whilst I was there, coordinators started to come in, but I was not a coordinator, I was just a secretary. And I'd wanted to go to drama school, 
So I did that thing of leaving to go to drama school and I came back again and went back to the BBC on a temporary basis and kind of, I just sort of stayed there. I did do a little bit of acting, but I was, I, I quite enjoyed the secretarial aspect of it. I quite enjoyed running people's diaries and, and you know, just organising things for people. I'm, I'm a bit of an organiser. Then at the BBC for quite a while before they were making me redundant and I got the last job I did, I was allowed to production coordinate. It wasn't very, it wasn't a massive job, it was quite a small job, but it was kind of quite nice to do that and then that was it. I left, did a bit of temping, but then I coordinated forevermore in the freelance world. And what's good, because it, like you said, it requires a lot of um, organisation and a lot of kind of just, I guess, also being calm. But it feels like what skills do you need to be a production coordinator? Um, I don't know that there are any great skills, to be honest with you. I do think you need to be calm. I'm not always calm. I give an air of calmness, I hope. Um, <laughs> I, you definitely should have a sense of humour. Without a doubt, I think everyone in production needs to have a sense of humour because there are times when you're working really late. So you need a bit of a sense of humour. And I think also just being able to listen. Listen, if you're in a production office and you are lucky enough to share it, well, maybe not lucky enough, I don't know, but lucky enough to share it with your line <laughs> and producer and director, you hear really interesting conversations. And often you can potentially give some input into that or if you really clever, you just listen to things going on. And if you if you hear people saying, oh, we need to organise this, you organise that. I often will, once the conversation is over, look to the line producer and say, do you want me to get on and sort that out? Or do you want one of us to do it? So that you're kind of, you know what's going on from the inside, but you're not necessarily taking over. Um, but you can be part of, you can be part of working out the logistics of things. Mm. So I think really... I mean, there's loads of people. I know everyone's got a degree now. I didn't get a degree. My generation didn't really get a degree. There's loads of people with degrees. And it's a shame, I think, that to get into television now, a lot of people seem to think you have to have a degree. And production companies also say you have to have a degree. But really, you just need to be calm, have a sense of humour, be organised. Yeah, type. And it still comes down to typing and just organising things, I think, and keeping your ears open. Yeah, having that foresight, I guess, which you sort of touched upon. And um, what do you love about your job? Um, if you love it, that is, I should, I should caveat, shouldn't that? Really good question. <laughs> and I think mo- a lot of people in production will go, oh, God, I can't bear it. But actually, I've got to work with some really nice people. They're at really, when I think about the amount of people that I haven't liked working with, it's a very small amount compared to the people that I have liked working with. Um, and that's probably true just about any walk of life, isn't it, really? Yeah, and gen- generally, people are really lovely. And you have a real laugh with them. It's, you know, everyone knows it's a mad industry in that people ask ridiculous questions that in the outside world they would not get away with asking (laughs) and we have to go okay yes I'll sort that out that's fine and thinking that's not my job or (laughs) why on earth are you asking me and I know you only put actors into the mix as well it goes even more mad but I think that's probably I've worked with a lot of really lovely people and I've I've been lucky enough to go to some brilliant locations that people don't go to or you know that the general public don't go and see and I've worked on some really great scripts scripted things that I am really proud to have on my CV so there are a lot of downsides there are the hours I think are an absolute killer um, for everyone and 
I have to really work on my poker face now, whereas I maybe didn't have to a little while before, but you know, now I do have to work on that poker face. But generally, and if I've got a good team, production teams are quite hard, good production teams are quite hard to find, I think, because people move up really quickly. So a good production secretary and a good runner, and then it's fine. And, the, and a line producer that isn't, you know, a bully or a harridan and, and is happy to have a laugh with you. And we're, basically, we're all one team. It's all, there's no one hierarchy, yeah. hopefully, in production, even though the industry is very hierarchical. Hopefully, you have a team that is, everyone's on an even keel, really. Yeah, it's all about, you're all kind of working towards the same thing. So it makes sense that you all work together to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um it's a massive operation logistically. How do you start? So on a normal TV, I say normal TV drama or comedy, a scripted comedy, um, there's literally line producer, runner, secretary and coordinator. Um, so I guess you start with your script, reading the script. So you want to know, I, I don't necessarily need to know how many characters there are, although it does make me think, it does make me then think, oh, how many contracts I've got to do. Try and break down from that point of view and also from anything working out. I don't have to, again, I don't have to work this out. Location managers, I think it really starts with the locations and the and the cast, which are neither my job. Mm. But I, obviously I'm involved in casting and I was, I either it's happening where I am at. So we have to get lists in and make sure reception know. Or I'm desperate to know who it is and let head of department know, costume makeup know who's being cast in what job and locations location manager will come on before uh, at the same time as line producer just a little bit after usually because locations are really key yeah and then it's sort of there's no rule there's no straight path into how you go about i always look at a diary and think oh i've got eight weeks of prep before we start filming that means the week before filming is rehearsal week and the week before that is as uh, the recce tech recce week It'll end with a production meeting. So on my diary, I always mark that out and put it on the wall in a great big A3 printout so everyone can see what you're getting towards. From my point of view, that's where I start with. I put a big diary up so I know in my head where we're aiming for. Because the, the other thing about production is that our main bit of work, our bit where, the, where, the, where we're really, really busy, is in the prep time. Because we are dealing with everyone, getting all the scripts out, getting everything out. And then once you started filming, just day one, let's deal with day one and then day <laughs> two and let's deal with day two. <laughs> um, so there's two things actually that you've spoken about, which I wanted to ask. Um, what's a recce? So a recce is when all the heads department, I don't go on it, the line producer, producer, sometimes the head of production and a health and safety person and all the heads of department, uh, DOP, uh, gaffer best boy sometimes a script supervisor not always a sound man all those kind of technical people they all get in a lovely bus <laughs> and they get taken around the different locations by the location manager so i we arrange that at the beginning so we'll know this is the day for our recce we find the bus and the driver and leading up to it obviously i let everyone know and they basically go around every location that has been found and approved already by the director and the producer and that the location has worked towards getting permission to buy from the owners to be there and film on certain days so it's sort of like going into it's somewhere where you go in and look around you the director should know hopefully what shots he wants to do dop will then say well i need these lights to his gaffer 
Gaffer will talk to his best boy and say, right, well, when we do that, we need to have the truck parked out there, tell the lo lo location manager, and we want to bring these lights in here and put them here, here, here. But you do that for every single scene and every single location. Wow. So if you've got a really, you know, if you've got something that's got flipping locations in every single scene, then it's obviously it's a nightmare. But if you've got somewhere that's got your hero house, let's say, if it's a, it's a job that's got a family in a house and that house is in most of the script, then you're lucky you'll go to that that you'll go to that location you'll think well they'll probably be there for quite a lot of the day because they're going to go through the, all the scenes that are in that particular location mm -hmm. and work out what they're going to do and this that and the other and then at the end of that week or that day or the three days whatever however long it is uh, you have a production meeting so everyone comes back to either the office or meet somewhere that's when costume and makeup also join I join the meeting and you generally sit down and everyone goes through to clarify exactly what is needed, um, how long they think they're going to need to film there. Do they need to black it out, for example, tent it out? Do the sparks need to do any blacking out? Or do we need um, extra vehicles to get to that place? All those kind of technical things, depending on the location, depending on where you're at. Um, they are all discussed in that production meeting at the end of the recce and then put into action. The line producer will go away and they, she, she or he will already have got a camera or and lighting deal with the lighting and camera company, but they'll, she'll then go to them and say, um, we need to have these extra bits of kit and we want them on these days, can I book them? And, you know, costume will then say, well, okay, so I know that um, we're doing that particular scene when it's a fancy dress party, and we're doing it on that day. You go through the whole, you go through the schedule, basically. We're doing it on that day. So I know I need to organise the fancy dress costume for that day. So it's really all the pulling together of all the strands of each department. So that's a that is complete teamwork. The first yeah. day we've done their schedule. The schedule is then used for that recce. Um, so when they go around to each location, they say, right, well, this, this is going to be on day three in the schedule and our hours are this and la, la, la. So it sounds really complicated. It just sounds like a very logistical... But it is completely logistical, but it actually, I and the production team are literally the conduits. We send out the schedule to people, we send out the recce invite, we get them all on the bus with their bacon sandwiches, we organise the production <laughs> meeting room, and that's really the crux of it. And then I sit, well, then I sit in there, oh, there's a child, the child is going to be on this day, I've got to do a child licence for that, you know. Those are the logistics. But every department has a role to play in that. So yeah, it is a big logistical thing. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. Now you mentioned before that you get to go to very nice locations. Where has been the most interesting, oddest, randomest, whichever of those where you want to pick um, locations that you've been to? Something that is memorable and stays in your head. It was a really tough job, but it had lovely locations in it. Was um, Elizabeth the Virgin Queen, the BBC version. And it went out, it, it was the one with Anne-Marie Duff in it. And we went, uh, we shot in Northumberland. So we shot around Bamborough Castle and some amazing, just beautiful locations. Absolutely lovely because it, there was lots up north, lots of National Trust locations. I mean, National Trust never really want you in there, but they are amazing <laughs> locations to go to. And we also did stuff in London, in uh, Temple. So all those amazing places where they're really old, yeah uh, buildings that are really fantastic i think that that really springs to mind as the probably the most interesting i'm sure there are a few others to go like i was saying about the um rothschild place 
that was on a job called Kiss Me First. And that was a, a house that Lord Rothschild had, had built called the Flint House in the grounds of, is it Woburn Abbey is their place? Huge mansion, anyway. And we were the first people to film there. And it's this amazing property that had won a architecture award and it's really it's like a, it looks like a slice of a block of cheese it's kind of like in that i'm showing you but you can't even see that on radio but it's like a block of cheese like you know the traditional block and it's got flint on the outside and it was in the middle of it was on their land but it was in the middle of nowhere i mean how much land do they have so we had to drive out there get park up in the low unit base and then go out there on four by four vehicles and it was the last day of shoot on a really hard job and the building was absolutely beautiful and it was this is the one that had all the artwork in it and you kind of I went in I was like oh just this is the most amazing house that no one else had been in no one else had been out to film and they were really they were really welcome and really excited to have us there mad people that they are but they were very happy to have us there and it was a beautiful property and I thought gosh we're so lucky to be here because you know no one gets to be in here at all this is very special Oh, wow. That sounds really cool. Um, kind of a similar-ish question is what you said you get a lot of odd questions and uh, requests, as it were. If you can say, obviously, I understand if you can't say. What has, without naming names, what has been the uh, most oddest request of your request made of you? Well, an annoying one is another job I did years ago, which was lovely. And we had to shoot, it was called Blackpool, and we shot in Blackpool. But whenever we went up there, I would have phone calls from the crew. We, I booked in one hotel, really nice hotel. There were lovely people. And generally, all the rooms were really, really nice. And I always got phone calls from crew saying, oh, I haven't got, Lucy, I haven't got a toweling dressing gown in my room. And I, I literally, we went, we shot up there, I think, two or three times. And every single time, I, I kept saying, in my head, I was like, what would you do if you were on holiday? Would you phone the coordinator to ask for a toweling dressing gown? Or would you just go to reception to ask return dressing again? So that, I mean, it's not an odd request. It's just a bit random. A bit random and a bit like, well, that I think you can sort that out yourself, actually. <laughs> so I haven't had, I don't think I've had any really mad. I and mean, then what would your ideal kind of job be? Short. Um, <laughs> I used to do jobs that were like 17 weeks filming. And I think now I do a, I do a six or eight week job. And I think, oh God, how do I ever do a drama that was... 17 weeks filming. I always have a, I, I, if I work with a lovely line producer, we always say, so who would your favourite team be? And you go through all the team you want to work with, but the trouble is they're all, they're all either line producers or coordinators or secretaries. So you'd have just a massive production team of thinking who you'd love to work with because you've worked with some really lovely people, but nice people. Thing. You, you, no matter what it is, working with nice people, definitely. We've come to the end of the podcast and I get to ask my, probably my favourite question is, what are your three favourite to watch recommendations? So these are things that I've watched that at the time really meant a lot, you know, they, they yeah. did something, yeah, they were brilliant to watch. So they're, they're not random. The first one is a documentary. If you watch a good documentary, I think they are absolutely brilliant because they can take you, give you information about a subject that you have no idea about but really reel you in. And that is the documentary about Ayrton Senna, called Senna, which if you haven't seen it, I don't, I, it might be on Amazon, but Ayrton Senna was a Formula One racing driver and he got killed eventually in a terrible crash. Um, 
I am not interested in Formula One in the slightest. And obviously I knew that he died. So I kind of, you know, you know the ending already. The documentary is so brilliant. It's really well, it's knitted together with just lots and lots of clips of him and just voiceovers from people. So you never see an on-screen interview with someone. It's all voiceovers. So you're completely swept up in the whole journey that he had from a young man through to his terrible crash. And it's really brilliant. They're the same makers who made the documentary about Amy Winehouse, which is also brilliant. But I went to Senna because I was not, I was like, oh yeah, let's watch it. I'm not interested in Formula One and was absolutely blown away by it. And I think anyone would be. You don't have to like the subject at all. Uh, It's a really brilliant piece of storytelling and knitting together of facts. So that was my first one. The second one is one that I've worked on, but that isn't obviously the reason. But it's not, it was on Sky and at the time I didn't see it. I've now got the DVD of it, but it's with a really lovely comedy written by Kathy Burke and it's called Walking and Talking and it has lovely memories for me because it actually was my first proper comedy job and it was a lovely team and I love Kathy Burke I think she's absolutely brilliant she didn't disappoint she's a really nice person and I think she's a really brilliant writer and it had it's basically her life as a um, young teenager in North London with her mate literally walking and talking about stuff that's going on in their lives about boyfriends and her young Kathy wanted to get into the Anna Share drama school and her being awkward about her body but loving music absolutely loving music and her bedroom funny enough that was another clearance issue but anyway it was, it was great fun to do her bedroom is full of pictures and posters of the 70s and there's brilliant music throughout from the 70s and yeah I watched a few clips of it again and it it stands the test of time because it's it, the design and the costume was so brilliant and there's really funny bits in it. There's really poignant bits in it and I think it really deserves watching. It kind of, I don't know whether it's been on again, but I think people should really hunt it out because her writing's great and she had two characters in it. One was played by her, one was played by a, a male actor, but they're playing nuns in the playground where she is supposedly in real life went to school and they're hilarious. They're really funny. She's Kathy's the nasty nun, and um, Sean, who played the um, a nun, even though he's a man, was the lovely young nun. But they're really—it's a brilliant little kind of piece of comedy writing that actually is completely from her heart. So it's yeah. really lovely. It's really nice. Aww. So that was walking and talking. And the last one is a really recent piece of television that I think I watched about three weeks ago. I'm about a year behind the times. I um, uh, I hadn't watched it when it went out, and it literally I can't stop thinking about it. And that's Chernobyl because uh-huh. I know lots of people have seen it, but as a piece of writing, again, it's a story that I knew about. I was 16 when it happened, so I vaguely remember it. I vaguely remember hearing the news stories, but because it happened in Russia, there wasn't an awful lot that came out about it, and I certainly didn't read up about it in as I got older. But it's an amazing story of a terrible accident, terrible thing that happened. Um, And it's so brilliantly done. The costume design is fantastic. The makeup is remarkable. And the production design, I do, there are some bits of it I watched. I thought, I don't know how they even shot that. It's quite remarkable. And who would have thought that a scene in a courtroom talking about how a nuclear reactor works and how it goes wrong could be riveting. I don't know, <laughs> but it was absolutely riveting. So, and I binge watched it. it. It's 
just remarkable. One of the best things, best dramas I've seen on television in years. Oh, wow. I have to I haven't seen it actually in fairness oh, all three actually haven't seen so I need to add them to my ever-growing list they're really good interesting choices Kathy Burke is she I'm gonna get this wrong but was it Kevin and Perry was she the yeah. she was Perry was she Perry? she was Perry yeah she was Perry yeah okay yeah. so do you know she's yeah. <laughs> she's um she used to do also something you might want to YouTube it gimme 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 which was yes. her with a mad orange wig yeah yeah, and then who was the, she was? She used to live with a guy. I can't remember his name. Yeah, um, um, and it's it just their life, wasn't it, in that flat? Yes. Yeah. yeah, that was a really good show as well. Yeah. Brilliant. She's very, and she's a really nice lady. She's, you know, she's proper London, and um, I was really kind of in awe of meeting her because I'd kind of grown up with her, watching her on lots of different things and everything. But um, so I'm really that I'm really proud to have it on my CV, and I think it's really worth hunting out to watch. Just oh. a nice upbeat you know nice little story feel good watch yeah um thank you lucy so much for being on the podcast it's been really really interesting and really fun to speak with you and you thank you thank you for inviting me yeah (laughs) hope you enjoyed my conversation with lucy tune in the next episode where i'll be speaking to costume designer michelle clapton and if you get a moment could you please like follow or subscribe on your podcast platform and follow the crew chats podcast on instagram thank you